Sweet Sounds, the definitive two. As at Meta Campionato, Golato returns for a mid-season catch-up. Back like Boldy and De Sica from our very own Vacanze di Natale, it is Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle. Bentornati, ragazzi. Good to be back. Yeah, indeed so. Gab, how are you? I'm good. Just back from the Dolomiti. That's right. I was... Uh, in the way up in the mountains in the uh, German speaking part of Italy. Mm. In fact, the, this little enclave within the German speaking part of Italy where they um, they speak this language called Ladin with uh, with a d. It's only 20 30,000 people speak it. It's an odd mix of uh, German and, and Italian and, and strange guttural sounds and right. Lovely. Was there a cave full of riches? A little monkey polishing a uh, yes, yeah. I knew you were going to go there with that. No, no, funny enough, no. Okay. The lads. Nice. Yeah. We're midway through the season. And we've got a lot to talk about in this Galazzo. We've got Aaron Ramsey, and still not quite official, but pretty much official, move to Juventus and what that might mean, how that might work. We've got the precedence. The Welsh players who've gone out to Turin like Ian Rush. I know you've got some stories about him. Gab and John Charles, and exactly what his connection with David Icke was. We'll be coming to you for that later on, James. We'll be talking about other transfers that have and maybe will happen. But first of all, let's begin with a little catch up on what on earth the state of play is after 19 rounds. Bit of Louvanor featuring Willy Peyote there with La Prima di Campionato. Do you remember Willy Peyote from his Glick 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 classic at Torino? Glick Glick Boom. No, I don't actually, James. Maybe. <laughs> you really not? It's too high on Peyote, maybe. I yeah, don't know. Possibly. <laughs> possibly anyway. The original Louvanor who came with Pedrinho to Catania back in the 1983-84 right. season after the promotion nice. back to the top flight. And it brings it full circle. <laughs> I'm high on something and it is the fact that Serie A returns this weekend. And so far we've had, what, 497 goals, a similar number of managerial changes and Serie A is back is Serie A back though James well I think there's uh there's definitely a buzz about it that hasn't been there for for some time I think maybe since the treble uh winning side that Inter had in 2010 um and yes sure Cristiano Ronaldo's move has shifted the spotlight back on onto the league and I think has maybe emboldened some of the other competitors uh, for Juventus's crown to to think a little bit bigger and to to feel that they can attract players of a similar caliber but certainly top class players so yeah mm-hmm. you know you look at the at the top clubs and now it looks like um, Jack Ma the owner of, of Alibaba is going to buy a stake and in, in Inter become a minority owner and we have normal solvent owners yeah, in Milan Naples of- in Turin the guys in Milan have an almighty mess to work out and whatever, but, you know, at least they're not wanting for cash. At least, you know, and the, a lot of these hucksters are gone. They're litigious enough to challenge financial fair play as well. So we might see some reform on that. The other ray of sunlight as well, the number of talented young players mm. that were, there was already a sort of crest of a wave uh, beginning last year um, with the likes of Federico Chiesa, Barella. Now you see Zaniolo, you look at that... Um, at that Roma midfield, really, uh, which is 
They can't win games, be... but they've got some great young players. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think there's lots of positives in that. Dizierby is, uh, is is doing some interesting stuff at Sassuolo. It doesn't always bring results, but it's certainly uh, pretty innovative and, and exciting to follow. So Many positives. 19 games in, title looks sorted. Juve, nine points clear off to a record start. I mean, a, a record points total at the midway point, rather. Top three, to be fair, looks pretty sorted as well, because you've got Napoli, who are five points clear of Inter in second place, and then Inter, who are seven points clear of Lazio in third. So that might be might well be how it ends. You do have quite a race for fourth place. So there's that, Gab. Who, who do you like and why? You've got Lazio, then a Milan side, one point behind them. Samp, only two points off Lazio in, in fourth place. And then Roma, a further point behind. Atlanta, a further point behind them. Who do you like and why out of that lot? I would ordinarily have said Milan, but there's so many question marks right now in terms of what they're going to do with their with their star center forward, and I put star in inverted quotes. That I don't know. I, I can. I, I still think it's so tight. I, I think Roma actually might be better positioned if Milan come out of this January, you know, somehow weakened, and depending how they hand, handle the Iguain situation. Even if he stays, they could end up weakened. So I think that's a um, that's a big thing. You don't see Higuain staying as, as being potentially a successful solution for Milan. Well, look, I, at the risk of sounding horrible about Higuain, the last couple of days has been you know in Italy we have this wonderful uh, expression, oh so and so al mal di pancia, right? He has a tummy ache because he wants to move. He's sad in Milan. He didn't think it was going to be like this, right? But then equally, so you say, oh, well, why don't you move? Why don't you move to Chelsea? Unite with Sarri. Oh, no, because then you talk to Chelsea and Chelsea say, well, uh, yeah, but the dude makes nine and a half million euros a season net, which with, for those who like to think in gross pounds is in excess of 360 grand a week. So we're talking about a guy who would come over and be one of the top two or three highest paid players in the Premier League without actually being that good. And that is the main stumbling block. The other one is his fee and his age. You know, if you're so unhappy, what you do is you go to Juve and you say, hey, Juve, tear up my contract. Okay, Milan, I hope you get somebody else in and I'll come to Chelsea for a massive pay cut. But I'll be happy because, you know, my tummy ache will be gone. Mm. He ain't going to do that. He's going to have him and he's going to have his stupid brother on Instagram yakking away and... Does that yeah. mean that the Milan's move, which there's a lot of noise at the moment, for Piontek of Genoa, that that's not going to happen? Well, I think uh, Milan... Not gonna keep Higuain inside contact, right? I mean, No, I think um, the reason why Milan have sounded out Genoa about the prospect of signing Piontek in the January transfer window is in anticipation of a possible move away uh, for Higuain. Um, if you go back to the press conference he gave when he signed for them in the summer, he said the reason why I chose Milan and not Chelsea is because Chelsea, I never got the feeling that anyone at the club apart from Maurizio Sarri was convinced about signing me. At Milan, it's completely different. Everyone's showing me the love. That's what I need. And instead, over the last few weeks, you've heard, you've heard Leonardo basically say, well, we're only going to sign him if we get into the Champions League. He needs to get his head down, start taking some responsibility and pedal. Um, and, you know, really since uh, a game that I was at, the Milan-Juventus game, where he missed a penalty and then got sent off and had an incredible tantrum, he hasn't really been the same player. No, uh, two months without scoring and then finally finding the net again. In the last round before the the winter break, the arrival of Lucas Paqueta from Paqueta. Flamengo. 
Packet Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, is, is that something you're excited about? Do you think that's going to have a big impact on Milan, seen as a kind of a, a new caca, potentially? I've only seen this guy on uh, on YouTube. Mm. I'm not sure. The, the big debate people are having is what struck you about Kaká is that the minute he arrived, he had the, the physicality, he had the quickness of mind and of execution to instantly fit in to European football. Right? He was seen as a European player. And, and some of it is a bit sort of stereotyping and, and cliche. With Paqueta, I'm not 100% sure that's the case in the sense that, you know, the first outing, I couldn't really tell very much. We'll, we'll know more after Saudi Arabia. But, you know, he looks like a guy who's very skillful, but it might take him some time to get used to the, the rhythm of the game here in Europe. Luckily, he's arriving in a settled club that... Exactly. Well, yeah. James, to continue the Kakar comparison, his brother has gone and started training or he had a trial with Berlusconi's new club Monza in very much the kind of style of uh, Kakao's brother, Digao. <laughs> so you would have said Milan ordinarily. You think Roma maybe might be the beneficiary of a, of a second half of the season wobble gap. What do you think, James? I think Roma um, should be the, the team taken most seriously to, to finish fourth because they've, they've been there, done it before. They always seem to find a way. I think they've had a lot of injuries over the first four months of, of the season. I think those players are now beginning to come back, although they have just lost Perotti, who I think Perotti has been a big miss for them. He's the, one of the few players who can actually go past uh, defenders in 1v1s. The young players who've had to essentially step up whilst these guys have been out, I think are better for that period. I think they're better integrated. I think Di Francesco has a better idea of, of who he can count on. And they've still got certain players who you look at and you think they can maybe start to catch fire. Like We haven't really seen Justin Clivert do that yet. But the likes of Zaniolo, Pellegrini, Lorenzo, who's who's back from injury, I think is really good. Schick started scoring goals. Mm. So I think Roma should be the, the team that finish in the top four. Although I do have a soft spot for Atalanta making it. I mean, they've got Ilicic, who's back from this virus, and he just keeps scoring hat-tricks, and he's ludicrously talented. Papu. And then you've got Duvan Zapata, who cannot stop scoring. Nine goals in his last six. Yeah. And, and that team um, has a a lot of depth to it because I mean they've they've planned for um, last year they were in the Europa League this year they would have got into the the competition had Andreas Cornelius not um, screwed his penalty up against Copenhagen it's his former club his former club and was then sold the next day I think Atlanta are the the one team outside of sort of Roma Juventus Napoli and Inter who take points off the big boys Lazio don't do that Lazio have yeah, I mean, they're fourth. They're, I think they're maybe four or five points behind where they were last year. They're not scoring anywhere near as many goals. But if Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savage start to click again, then, you know, maybe they can go on a run. But I would say Roma and Atalanta are my kind of picks for the for that final fourth spot. At the bottom, meanwhile, bottom three currently are Chievo, who finally got their first win of the season. When was it? Was it October or November before they got onto a got out of minus points? It was, it was November time. It was right? November under... Um... They also did that weird thing that Benevento did last year, which was not win a game until the final game of the calendar year. Right. So that's just like a kind of, we can't live with this shame. <laughs> it's en- enough already. So Kevo bottom of the table, they're eight points from safety. Frosinone are looking equally uh, dramatically placed. Six points from staying up. Bologna are only three points off making it back into the 
the safety positions uh, above them. I mean, basically, the bottom eight all look risk. You've got Empoli three points clear, Spal, who are four points clear, Udinese and Genoa five and seven points clear. Who do you see most at risk? Is it going to be the bottom three, Gab? Anyone in danger of dropping in? And if so, why? I mean, there's a strong rumours we're about to see a, a big shake-up at Bologna with Joey Saputo getting involved and, you know, Bigon's going to go and... Bigon's useless. <sighs> so Bigon is the DS at the moment. Yeah. 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 And, and Pippo Inzaghi is the manager. Yeah, I would assume that... As people, we record this. People might go as well. And I think if, if they can sort it out, I mean, this is not a team that should be anywhere near Serie B. At that point, you know, you are talking about Empoli would be in danger. I think Spal are a good side. I think they have good players. I think they play nice football. Uh, Empoli play decent football too, mm. in fact. But obviously they don't have the resources behind them that, 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 that Spal has. So I would probably lean towards Empoli if Bologna can sort it out. Udinese, you know, they'll get help if they need it. And much as I wouldn't mind seeing Genoa go down, uh, just to hear another Prezzosi rant, it's uh, not going to happen. Okay, James? I think Empoli will stay up because they uh, they score enough goals. And that was that was the problem when they last uh, went down under Matuscello. And Ciccio Caputo, who for years just He's could a not... a player and a half, that guy. He, who for years could not do it in, in the top flight and was just seen as the guy who got you 20, 30 goals in the second division. He's been brilliant for them this season. Um, he also makes his own beer and gin. Um, so yeah, he's he's very much in my good Is that box. You're making your own gin. Uh, Make your own beer, fine. I hear he's just those micro. Uh, well, I mean, it's for many. Pierlo fans. makes his own wine. So who yeah. does? Pierlo. And Bazar. But he owns a vineyard. That's different. Gin is yeah. different. Gin is like one step away from moonshine in the basement. <laughs> like. <laughs> Or no, I don't know much about. I, anyway, Gab, Gab, uh, to to make his prediction come true, is trying to bust Chicho Caputo for 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 making moonshine here, <laughs> and also Empoli's midfield is fantastic, no, with Krunic, Zajic, and Hamitroa, who's going to go to Fiorentina at the end mm. of the season. So I think they'll stay up. I think Bologna will go down unless something dramatically changes because they are awful to watch. They don't score any goals, and. Um, I'm not really enthused by some of the signings that they've made in January. When you hint darkly, Gab, at, at, at major changes there, is there, are there any big names that we should know about? That was a rumour. I mean, the, 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 I, I don't know much about it. The rumour is that be gone, gone, probably Finucci, the chief executive, possibly even, I was told, Marco Di Vaia, which would seem odd since he's basically, you know, Saputo's brother from another mother. Um... I don't know. I, okay. just, they, 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 this is just, it's just chatter. All right, then. Maybe they'll start winning. Maybe Santander will score a hat-trick next time around. They'll be fine. Hey, let's see. Who's been your player of the season so far? How about, well, Piontek, you make a big shout for him. Certainly of the transfer of, of last summer, yeah. bought for 4 million and 13 goals already, and potentially a massive payout if Pereziosi gets his way from either Milan or, or maybe one or two clubs uh, uh, abroad. Yeah, I think Piontek, though, is one of those guys, and perhaps unfairly, who people will look at and say he doesn't do enough other than score goals. And, and that sounds like an absurdity because he's a center forward, but it's part of the reason he was on the bench. Piontek certainly has a, has a case. I put him in my, uh, we were, I mean, my team of the year for, uh, for, for ESPN FC, and I, I did put him in there, even though it meant leaving Quagliarella out, which, which made See, me a little Pagliarella sad. Is, is my player this season so far because well, he's 36. Um, he keeps scoring ludicrous backheel volleys and, yeah, should be in the next Italy squad and leading the line in, in Euro 2020. 
people of the Totally Football Shows. You know what you could be listening to right here? You, your company, your product out here in front of hundreds and thousands of listeners who are mostly men between the ages of 25 and 44. As well as the twice-weekly Totally Football Show, we've got a network of other football shows. There's Galazzo for the discerning cosmopolitan listener. There's the Totally Football League show for the loyal hardy listener. And there's the Totally Scottish Football Show for your listener who likes those big square sausages. And we've got even more podcasts on the way in 2019, some of them not even based around football or indeed sport. To discuss advertising on one of the Totally Football shows or across the Muddy Knees Media Network, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. We reach well over a million pairs of ears each week, and now you can too. Email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. The talking points from the first half, how well Napoli have done despite the shift from Sarri to Ancelotti and losing Jorginho. Are you surprised at how well Cristiano Ronaldo at Juventus has worked out? Because that wasn't a guarantee either. I'm very surprised. Not, not that Cristiano Ronaldo's done well, but there's weird there's weird things that pop up. Uh, the, the guys at Statsbomb put out this data and somebody did a piece on it in, in Correa de los Sport uh, today, actually, with this big graphic about how this season in Serie A, after 19 games, he's taken 50 shots from at least 20 yards out. Last season at Real Madrid, after 19 games, he had taken 23 shots. That's a massive, massive difference. And I think it has a lot to do with the way Juve plays. And I think a lot of his shots, I mean, some of it has to do with the fact that, you know, maybe Italian defenses tend to sit deeper. And so there's more of a, of a clogged area some, in some cases. But I think a lot of it is also a lot of those shots come when... You know, Juve are 1-0 up. They're playing on the counter. Cristiano, you know, they clear the ball. Cristiano gets it, looks up, looks around, and says, like, well, I could pass, but there's nobody here. So I know. I'll just go and I'll shoot from, from 30 yards out. You know, and he's never been – he's taking the same number of shots this year as he's taken last year. It's just that his shots are all from, from much further out. And he's taking free kicks, nearly all of them. I think 13 of, of Juventus' 19 in the league, which – when you've got Pjanic and Dybala and even Bernadeschi, if you want to throw him into the mix, two of the best free kick takers in the league, maybe Europe's top five leagues as well. I think in a tight game against Atletico in the round of 16 of the Champions League, who would I rather have standing over a free kick than Cristiano Ronaldo? Definitely Miro and Pjanic. Maybe it'll come down to that. Mm. I think the other thing to talk about with Ronaldo is he's played 71% of the minutes that he played in all of La Liga last year. The first game that he actually sat out when he then came on and got an equaliser was the Atalanta game just after Christmas. Um, I wonder whether he can he can play as often as he has been doing up until now. You know, mm-hmm. Because usually at Real Madrid, Zidane managed him in a completely different way in the second half of the season. He was on fire. Okay, Allegri said he's not been going to join up with Portugal for international duty in that six games that he would have played that he's missed. But he's 33. I mean, he's an incredible athlete, great professional in terms of how he how he works and keeps himself in shape. But that's a lot of minutes he's already clocked up, I'd say. This free kick thing, so just to go back to that, is funny because obviously I think at Real Madrid there was one sequence where he went, like was it like 50 free kicks without scoring, something like that? So this year I have the, the, the numbers here, uh, also courtesy of Statsbomb. In CDI, he's taken 14 free kicks. One of them was off target. Is that the one that hit the corner flag? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Three of them were saved, and the other 10 were blocked, presumably by the wall. That's not great. This is really not. I mean, I think in in Italy, we make 
too much of a big deal out of free kicks. But like Totti or, or, or Pirlo, you know, the, the, some of the greatest free kick takers ever, well, you know, they scored like 20 in their career, which works out of like one per season. It's not that big a deal. But it is funny at Juve. Well, you do have Miralem Pjanic, who does chip in with a few. Why this guy's taking all of them and just smacking them all into the wall at some point? Something's mm. got to happen. It's not a massive development. I mean, that's kind of how he's always always been. There might be some other exciting uh, transfers coming in. There's all sorts of fanciful talk at the moment. Possibly Urzul going to Inter. Uh, Napoli are keen to bring in uh, Chucky Lozano. That would be a fantastic like move. Oh, that would be, be great. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we mentioned that Piontek might be on the move. Maybe Cardi might leave uh, Inter. The, 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 the contract uh, wrangling is still going on there. There have been one or two other moves we should mention, like Muriel, Luis Muriel, who's joining Fiorentina on loan from Sevilla, and Gabbiadini going back to Sampdoria to team up with Quag and, and Defrel. This is the theme of the January transfer in, in Italy, is that basically all these players who used to play for Samp, like Soriano, Sansone, it's kind of been dominated by those guys. I'm quite excited just be watching his uh, two-goal uh, performance in a friendly. I'm interested to see... I think I went on YouTube about <laughs> Muriel and everybody loses their mind. And, uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see what impact that has on someone like Giovanni Simeone. Can, yeah. they, can they play together? I know we all love Giovanni. I mean, I adore Giovanni Simeone. I liked him even more when he had that funny haircut. Um, because, you know, you, can, you look at him and you... I don't say he plays like his dad would if his dad were a forward, but mm. in some ways he kind of does. But he's had a really horrendous, horrendous year. Yeah. And I think it's it's really, I think that's at the heart of Fiorentina's problem. So it'll be interesting to see how Muriel goes. Not that Muriel's the most reliable guy in the world either, but it I mean, could no, be an interesting dynamic there. I remember Di Natale saying that, um, yeah, he obviously played with Muriel. He played with Alexis Sanchez. Mm. And he said that, were it just to come down to talent, Muriel is a more talented player than Alexis Sanchez, but he did not have the right head on his shoulders. He would go away, come back 10 kilos overweight, and just basically sat on his backside when he should have been sort of committing and applying himself to make the most of his talent. So there you go. The other big signing, of course, made by the boys who've taken over at Palermo, bringing in Dean Holdsworth. Yeah. Fresh from his success at Bolton. Uh, he's going to be... What is he going to be? Well, apparently he went on LinkedIn and put sporting director of Palermo, um, at which point the actual sporting director of Palermo kind of lost his... Ros- uh, lost, yeah. Rino Foschi. Foschi, sorry. And I was like, hang on a minute, I, I'm the sporting director. So then I think there was an amendment, which was sporting director of the company that has taken over Palermo. Right. Okay. Ruffling also, a few feathers. It's really funny. There's an Instagram account. I don't know if it's the Palermo one or if it's his one. Because... I was a bit skeeved, so I didn't actually click on it. But you, it shows him in a room behind a desk, and it's bilingual, right? And the English one is like, you know, Dean Holdsworth, hard at work, bringing in new players, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the Italian version of it, which looks like it was put through Google Translate. But like those, you know those early season Google Translates from like, you know, the ones that, that like, the ones from like 20 years ago that made even less sense than the ones now? Uh-huh. I, the whole thing just seems so incredibly half-assed. Are they still and top of the table? Yeah, they are. And they've got five-point lead on, on Brescia, Cellino's Brescia. Mm. But yeah. Because you can't even really root against them because then you don't want... <laughs> Seriously, who do we want? I mean, honestly, like, I want somebody semi-normal. Well, yeah. wait, we, we all got to get behind Piscay. We, well, Pescari. Verona back Top would be six. nice. 
Palermo, Brescia, Pescara, Lecce, Hellas, Verona and Benevento. We haven't talked about managerial changes, probably the most exciting of which was the extraordinary business at Chievo. Seven managers, I think, have, 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 there have been seven changes. Genoa naturally lead the way with three, although Chievo are, are doing their best, thanks to Ventura turning up after his time in the wilderness following. Really resurrected his reputation, didn't he? <laughs> so he basically <laughs> failed to get Italy to the World Cup, nil-nil draw at San Siro with Sweden, disappears, comes out of hiding to take over Kieva from Lorenzo Danna and stays, what, two games? Uh, I think maybe maybe one or two more than that. Was it? But then just wasted their time, to uh, use Sergio Polizieri's sort of words. And then resigned after he picked up his first point. Yeah, didn't uh, even get to eat the Pandora. Poor chap. Okay, uh, lots of other changes as well. And as you suggest, Gab, there will surely be more to come. Uh, Pippo Inzaghi looking particularly at risk there at Bologna just inside the bottom three. But one of the biggest developments over the Christmas period was the fact that Aaron Ramsey had chosen Juve as his next club when his contract runs out at Arsenal in the summer. How's that going to work? Let's move on to that hot topic after this. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Well, he's been at Arsenal since the age of 17, and now he goes to the top club in Italy, one of the top clubs in the world. How is it going to work? How do you see him fitting in there, Gabriele Marcotti? Well, I think, I mean, we've seen this from Juve, right? The, they have a thing for taking veteran midfielders on free transfers or, or nearly free transfers. I mean, free transfers, obviously, we saw with Kadira, we saw with Emerson, we saw with Aaron Ramsey. Matuidi, they pay the fee, but... Again, it was a contract running down type situation. So they obviously value veterans. If you were to ask me, you know, drop the starting 11 next season and tell me where Ramsey is, I couldn't tell you. And I'm not, I mean, I, I suppose the thinking is he's box to box. So maybe Pjanic and Bentancourt, Pjanic and Shan behind him. I think it's one of those things where, and we've seen this from Juve, hey, look, we got you a very good player. We can move Kadira out. This guy's going to now be part of the rotation. You go figure out how it works because you know, you've got Dybala to think about. You've got all sorts of things. The one other thing that's worth noting, and there was an excellent column uh, in the Times about this on Monday uh, by me, about the wage situation, right? It, got, it was reported that, oh, look, he signed for 140,000 pounds a week. Now, Ramsey currently makes 110,000 pounds a week, right? Nobody in their right mind would think that he just moved for a 30 grand bump because presumably could have gotten that here in the Premier League. The reality is that that number was taken from reports in Italy, which we don't know if they're true. It seems plausible. It seems a little high to me. But that number, if they got it from Italy, is net because in Italy, we always speak of net numbers. And 140 grand net a week works out to something in the region of 270 grand a week gross. That is an absolute monster amount of money. Right. It would be one of the top five or six salaries in the Premier League. He's 28. He's 28 years old. And there's one other factor in this, which is worth noting. We don't know what sort of commission his agent gets. But this is the downside. Right? We call these free transfers. But we know how much Emre Shan's agent got when he delivered Emre Shan on his, uh, with his free transfer because Juve had to go and list it because they listed on the stock exchange. And... 16 million euro. About 13 and a half million pounds, right? 
So you look at this from Juve's perspective, you're bringing in a 28-year-old, and if these numbers are accurate, and they may be off, um, you know, you're basically paying him about 13 million pounds over five years, and presuming his agent's not a fool, maybe he won't get 13 and a half million pounds the way Emery Sean's agent got, but I'm assuming he would presumably get at least six or seven million, maybe a little more than that. Right. That is a ton of money. That is a ton of money on a on a 28-year-old player not named Cristiano. How confident are you about his, his impact at, at Juventus, James? And what made him, apart from that fiendishly large amount of money, what made him choose Juve? Was it just the finances? No, I was told uh, it kind of sold itself to him um, in that this is one of the, I'd say one of a handful of clubs which is in a position where it can not only win domestic titles but is set up to compete to win the Champions League um, over the next few years. And it made a lot of sense from that point of view. I also think, and I, mean, I don't know the guy personally, but I know people who do, 11 seasons at Arsenal and then to be offered a contract and then have it withdrawn, I think he would have found it difficult to play for another top English club. Um, you know, this is not somebody, I mean, somebody obviously who has ambition, but who who has genuine ties to to Arsenal as well. So he said, well, you know, rather than go to another club in England, who I think our number would have taken him, again, not at that monster number, I don't think, um, then going to, to, to Juventus and Turin makes sense. Maybe he's influenced by the fine tradition of Welsh players who've already made the journey to Turin. Well, one, he's never going to be able to live up to, no disrespect, Aaron, but there can be only one John Charles. Oh, not Ian Rush. Well, <laughs> hopefully he'll do... Better than, than Ian Rush. Right. Although, I sat mm -hmm. down with Ian Rush, uh -huh. and he says a it's couple like things. It's like a foreign country. Okay, first of all, <laughs> the, it's like a foreign country. He says he never said that. He never that. said that. He yeah. never, ever, ever said that. He's like one of those guys who goes to play in another country and claims they were badly translated. Yeah. <laughs> so his, his version is that Kenny Dalglish came up with that when he was asked for a quote, why... Ian Rush had come back after only one season. A season in which he scored eight, eight goals, goals in 29 games. But it was a Juve club in transition when people talk about Rush being a, a, a big disappointment in, yeah, in Italy. It was the wrong time to go to Juve. Retired. Yeah. Trapattoni had moved on to, to Inter. If, if you go and you look at people back there, I know eight goals in a season, you know, it's like, ha, 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 we laugh at it, right? But, you know, Morata's rubbish because, you know, he scored six goals in half a season. But back then, people were winning the Serie A scoring title with 15, 18 goals a season. And if you hit double figures as a striker, you know, you generally did your job. You know, he scored eight goals that year, and I don't think he was taking penalties. So it's not like it's a, it's a, it's a horrendous, it's not even as bad as people mm -hmm. uh, as, as people remember. It he was scored just in each one of fit. the Derby della Mole as well. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. So. But, but anyway, sorry, you wanted to talk about Il Gigante Buono, John Charles. Yeah, just because... Rarely do you find a guy who is just so universally adored as a player, not just in Italy, but obviously in, in this country as well, mm. who literally everybody likes. If you mentioned Gigante Buono, you know, the, the gentle giant or, or the good giant, you know, he really was cut from another cloth. And he, and he played on this tremendous team where he was up front with uh, Giampiero Boniperti, who then became Juve president was sort of the, the blonde, blue-eyed, sort of glamour boy, scored a ton of goals. And Omar Sivari, who was who was the, the, the complete opposite, he was kind of like, you know, Maradona before Maradona. I mean, without the ability, although he was a very exciting player, 
But, if Ronnie know. Corbett and Maradona had a love child, it would be <laughs> yeah. a massive audience. Yeah, you know, he used to, he was, he was known for like, you know, he wouldn't wear shin pads. He was, he was dirty. He was, he reveled in it. All those dark arts that you guys love talking about in this country. Uh, he knew all of them. They had remarkable numbers. Charles had 93 goals in 150 league games. Sivari, 135 in 250. And Boniperti, 177 for Juve, although in substantially longer but uh, glory days James what was the connection between John Charles and David Icke so in Ian McIntosh's um, pulped football fables um, Ian went to the Isle of Wight to sit down with David Icke um, who played under John Charles at was it Hereford United wow um, and in a kind of anecdote which I think tells you everything you need to know about the gentle giant one of his sort of pre-match team talks was along the lines of Okay, we have to win today. Um, actually, we kind of don't. It's okay if we... Uh, <laughs> life's not going to end if you lose this game, so it's fine. Just go out and enjoy yourselves. And, and how does they it. do? Uh, Ian did not finish that story, so I, I implore you to go to a um, a tip. Right. Um, oh, when and, you say pulp, and, and, that's not the title. The, the book has genuinely been pulped. <laughs> No, I think Ian said ten copies had been sold. Wow, um, that's a shame. It's on it? it's on landfills. You'll find it in landfills all over the UK. John Charles, who was voted the greatest ever foreign player by Juve fans at the end of the last millennium, also which his, is praise indeed. His partnership with Sivori is the partnership which you know all kind of Juventus strike partnerships are compared um, and. We talked about the gentle giant, it's sort of big man, little man partnership with Sivori, where you'd, you'd look at John Charles, who did box and think he's going to intimidate, he's going to bully, and no, that was what Omar Sivori did. And Charles was very apologetic whenever he kind of, you know, bashed into someone and they were injured just because he was he was so big. Famously, I think, stopping play when he was one-on-one with the goalkeeper because he'd knocked over a defender who was then screaming because his ribs had kind of uh, collapsed <laughs> on him. <laughs> the other thing we should mention, when we talk about his incredible goal-scoring record, is that he didn't always play up front. He played at the back. He played all over the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played as a, he spent a big chunk of his career as a, as, as a centre-half. And again, it's, it's just weird that you really get great footballers and, and, and People will tell you he's a great footballer. The people who saw him are, you know, one by one. They're all dying and passing away, and there's a very limited YouTube. But you really get somebody where everybody who knew him speaks or played against him or watched him, you know, speaks so, so highly of him. And and he really was sort of this this universally loved gentleman. And, you know, it's it's hard to find that, I think, in Italian football and in, and in here in this country as well. Maybe Ramsey brought, it looks like, Tuturin by... Umberto Agnelli's son, the man, who, the man who brought, who broke the bank for John Charles back then. Maybe and, he'll prove to be equally popular. Yeah, and by breaking the bank for John Charles, um, what the West End Ellen Road had burnt down, and um, they used the money that Juventus paid them for John Charles to rebuild it, and that's why the old West Stand is now known as the John Charles Stand at Leeds United. This weekend, two matches leap out from the fixture list. Let's just finish off with a quick throw forward to that. Two fixtures leap out at me anyway. Maybe they leap out at you, James Horncastle. I'm talking about Napoli Lazio and Fiorentina taking on Sampdoria. The new look, Sampdoria, the new look Fiorentina. I guess wow. we could see Muriel, Gabbiadini. Also, this uh, Roma Torino. Oh, yeah. People have forgotten match day one. Yeah. That wonderful Van Basten goal that Edin Dzeko scored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say the highlight of this round has got to be 
Lazio Napoli. Yeah. Um, just because. Is it Lazio Napoli or Napoli Lazio? It's one or the other, James. I that's think it's how, Na- that's how Napoli Lazio. That's what I'm uh, going with. But yeah, Chile Immobile with that. Uh, yeah, that was at the Stadio Olimpico back on match day one. Yeah. With that remarkable. Why is it he only ever plays well for like two clubs, Torino and, and, and Lazio? And anywhere else is just a bust. Why is that? He played well at Pescara. Oh, he did. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Confirmation there. Napoli are at home. Brilliant. Napoli technically could still close the gap on Juve, and they certainly need to keep Inter at bay because there's only a teeny-weeny five points between them. Lazio, though, really facing competition. Huge match for them. I think even John Charles would say that's a must-win fixture yes. for the Lazio. Um, also, just to go back on Napoli quickly, James, oh, yeah. remember their start of the season, they did a lot better than people expected because they had a really uphill start mm. against um, a number of their sort of what top six. So, yeah, if they can get through this gauntlet, um, then, you know, maybe... There might be a faint flicker of a, a title race. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Only the nine points. <laughs> Unless Atletico knock Juventus out yeah. of the Champions League, in which case it probably may well end up being lights out. I mean, look, Juventus are a better team, but I'm with you, James, if what you're saying is that if Juventus go deep into Europe, if they get some tough draws of the kind that, you know, in Italy we love to always talk about sort of, you know, Energia psychophysica, so like psychophysical <laughs> energy, like mentally draining, blah, blah, blah. You could see it happening, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's unlikely, but it's not out of this world, is it? No. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I that, huh? It is. Are Napoli going to sign Chucky Lozano? You guys got really excited about not that. for this window, I don't think. Right. No. I think the guy, the, the guy that they might sign, uh, and they're close to is Celta Vigo, the wonderfully named Stanislav Lobotka. Oh, yeah. He sounds like he could be a Bond villain. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the, the other game I mentioned, Fiorentina, who must try harder, taking on the freewheeling Sampdoria, who've just been fantastic so far this season. Huh? They have. I, when we say Fiorentina try harder, this is a very young side with Fiorentina, and people, I think, often forget that with a coach who's a very good coach, but maybe not the ideal coach to motivate and get the best out of I don't know if you agree out of out of younger players um Stefano Pioli well, yeah although um how secure is his position there in Florence do you think oh, I think it's it's very secure I think um they're respectful of the job that he did in difficult circumstances after the tragic death of Davide Astori mm. and felt that the team showed enough last year to sort of encourage them to carry on and in fact um go even younger than they than than it were, and you see the the transfer that they've just done uh, for for next season, which I think is a really good one. Hamid Traore, their Empoli midfield player. I think as long as they start scoring goals, because the defense is pretty good. Uh, Milenkovic, Petzela, Victor Hugo, and Biragi is a good back four. So I think Milenkovic I, is a player. In Milenkovic is yeah. I mean he's and he's kind of playing out of position as a right back. So is this one home or away for Sampdoria? Away for Samp, which mm. was a massive problem for them last year and is now not so much a problem. They've done pretty well on their travels so far this season. It's a, it's a good example of a manager kind of learning, as, I suppose, on on what approach to take um, because that was where I think Samp's um, chances of qualification for Europe fell down last season. So, we'll have to see. We'll return with another Galazzo next Wednesday when we can talk about all sorts of excitements from the weekend, but also... Delve back into the past once again, do some reading of those lost archives, Gab. Well, because as you know, the past is prologue. <laughs> and on that note, say many, many thanks to Gabriele. 
and James for being with us, and Charlie the producer, and you listener, for being the most important component of it all the years. And from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>